dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hey everybody, welcome back to another new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this afternoon, Meryl McNally? I am excellent. How are you, Zach? Good. Three in a row. Three in a row. I know. Woo, woo, woo. Defending your life. We'll get into it. We'll yeah. get into defending our own lives. But uh, <laughs> what have you been up to? Have you been watching anything besides Meryl Streep movies? <laughs> <laughs> have you been doing anything fun uh no <laughs> um i finished oh well i i basically finished my last assignment for my mfa with the exception of my thesis which mm-hmm. is very exciting um so i wrapped that up very cool and then have i been watching anything i've been slowly getting through the innocence files on netflix Oh, I don't even know what that is. Tell me about that one. It is a docu-series. I'm not sure if it's about, but it's it's um, largely about the work that the Innocence Project is doing in New York to exonerate people who've been incarcerated, um, fa- you know, falsely accused and incarcerated. Um, and the work they're doing is amazing. But it... It's broken down sort of into three groupings. So um, um, incorrect evidence, um, false witness IDs, and then um, um, attorney misconduct. Nice. And and particularly with the prosecution. So it's very, very good. It's right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. Sounds great. Oh, you know, speaking of last, was it last episode? Episode before we talked about in the in the dark. That's been a while. Yeah, there was a few. There was yeah, a few. Did you did you see they've got a they've done a new season about um, COVID and the Delta coronavirus yes. and the Delta. I haven't listened to it yet, but I did. I'm I'm actually um, I'm like the only person right now who's listening to fewer podcasts than normal. I'm a big podcast person, but I always do it when I'm driving. I actually in my normal day spend a lot of time driving from you know like appointment to appointment and i do some teaching and things like that and i spend a lot of time and and to gigs too you know i sometimes drive very long hours to gigs and things like that and so uh, i almost exclusively listen to podcasts when i'm driving and so because i've been doing almost none of that i'm falling way behind i feel like everybody else is listening to a lot of podcasts and I'm, i'm not but have you listened to any of it I have. I'm listening to a lot less than I used to as well because I list similar to you. I listen to them walking around New York, and I'm not walking anywhere. Um, so I I tend I tend to listen while I'm in the shower. I listen to almost every weekday. I listen to the New York Times Daily podcast just because it's my way of staying tapped in. And and then um, I've been listening to In the Dark because it's a favorite. So yeah. it's really good. The new season is good. I mean, Madeline Barron is perfection. Yeah. That entire team does an amazing job, and this is really no different. Yeah, they're they're amazing. We talked about that. Right, we gave them a big plug. I think they should just win every award this this particular year. I mean, that 
that episode recently that they did uh, for the Curtis Flowers one where he's out of jail and she's at the house, you know, the evening of him getting out is just spectacular. I mean, it's just so, it's so amazing. Just, they did so much good. And it came from like, I mean, I guess we were kind of retreading here, but like, it just came from like really solid reporting and like just doing amazing work instead of like getting lucky, which is, I feel like sometimes how some of these podcasts go down, some of this true crime podcast, since it exploded, you know, there's been instances of like people just saying, oh, I'm not a detective. I'm, you know, I do something completely different, but I listen to these and I just thought I'm going to try to do one. And then like sometimes those people get lucky and, uh, you know, like figure something out or just sometimes the like, you know trickling up of people are talking about whatever particular case again gets people in town talking and i don't know there's been some instances of people um kind of doing some some let's say maybe not really great detective work and certainly not great journalism and um i worried a little bit for a while there about people kind of taking everything on you know like there's something to be said for letting people who are knowledgeable and have some experience and some training do the work i don't know so um anyway but yeah they on the other hand are about the greatest journalists i've ever come across so i i'm excited to listen to it i'm kind of i guess building a bank of of that one but well that's good i'm glad you mentioned the innocence files because i actually hadn't heard of that and that sounds like something uh i'll be checking out too it's very good. It's very heartbreaking. It's just hard. It's just hard to see people have lost, you know, 30 years of their lives in jail. And it's, it's nice to see them be exonerated. It's just um, most, most of them are um, advocates and, you know, use their story to really educate people on you know, issues with the system and laws that need to be passed to improve it and change it. Um, but still, it's just, oof. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens to totally decent people. I mean, it's yeah. it's still happening out there every day that somebody is, um, you know. And then there are there are other things happening. You know, there are friends of the president of the United States who are being released, you know, after serving almost no time, uh, you know, because they're concerned they might get coronavirus. Well, what about the other people who are, you know, scary times. Yeah. Um, anything else that you've been seeing or wanted to mention? What about you? Not really. Yeah, no, it's been pretty much, it's been pretty much Meryl. I did the other day watch, um, I just kind of had it on in the background and wasn't watching too much of it, but it, you know, I'll mention it just cause there's nothing else to mention the 1997, uh, kind of action movie, kind of just weird drama kind of, they didn't really know which, uh, route to take in terms of tone, the devil's own with, uh, Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I kind of remember it being sort of an action thriller, but not really. Is that yeah. accurate? Yeah. yeah. It's a very dark movie. I mean, I saw it when it came out. too. I think I saw it in the theater. I'm not positive, but I think I did. And um, it the tone of it is really funny. It was kind of... Uh, Brad Pitt was in this kind of point in his career. So like, I don't know when Thelma and Louise came out, but that was early nineties, like 91 or 92, you know, 
this movie was 97. So five years removed from that. And he, um, he had a lot of issues. There were a lot of like rumors on the set of that one that him and Harrison Ford were clashing. And it turned out that that wasn't really true, but that Brad Pitt was very much clashing with the, um, screenwriter and the director and like very like he just said some things to the press like this movie's a mess i've you know years later he said i've still never watched it because he just thought it turned out ridiculous when it was originally pitched to him it had been pitched to him i guess even darker or there were some things that his character were going to do that he felt like got watered down over um you know the rewrites and so by the time they actually made it and then harrison ford came on board and so they kind of like uh made that the more central figure maybe to his and he didn't love that um so there was all kind of a behind the scenes kind of uh tension that i feel like kind of makes its way onto the screen uh he got kind of widely panned for his accent in it brad pitt you know he was doing the irish accent which i actually didn't think was that bad listening to it here but um and i think he and harrison ford are good in it they're reliably you know themselves but um, I don't know. It was just kind of interesting to to watch it again. I didn't. I started watching it. And I remember thinking, boy, the tone of this is weird. And started to look it up and found out all that stuff that I just said about the like behind the scenes problems. But yeah, um, you know, it's really interesting looking at his filmography. Like after Thelma and Louise, shit got dark, man. Yeah. <laughs> he, he. I mean, he made really dark movies. A river runs through it. California. True romance. I mean, maybe the favors next interview with the vampire legends of the fall 12 monkeys seven sleepers that was all pre the devil's own so whew, yeah. i can see why he might think the devil's own wasn't dark enough yeah well and then even things like meet joe black was i'm sure shortly after that that you know he was working with great people i mean i seven is about as dark as it gets i will admit i love that movie i think seven is unbelievable I need to see it again. I really have not watched it since it came out. I mean, I really don't think I have. I, I remember renting it maybe like in the late 90s. And I have not seen it since. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really great. Um, it's just one of those movies that if you're in the right headspace for it, because it's one of those where the tension builds. Um, I don't know if you remember the ending, but it's just one of the most like memorable yeah. endings. So yeah. uh, that might be my favorite Fincher movie, actually. Um, you know, well, and then after that, Fight Club, too, for goodness sake, speaking of dark, yeah. you know. He really did. Yeah, he went, he went to some places for sure. He wanted to show his chops sleepers is really dark too that one is like that one is really really tough to endure but he kind of started to like in the 2000s he started to go a little lighter with the mexican and oceans 11 and yeah, yeah things got a little you know one of my i just i haven't rewatched it but at the time i just really Friggin' loved it. Was the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? Mm-hmm. Um, I um, was in love with that movie at the time. I'd have to rewatch it to see if it holds up. Yeah, yeah. Yes. He's got some. He's got some really good ones. I don't know. He's a he's a somewhat divisive figure. I know not everybody's a huge fan of his. Um, I I really like his work, and some of it is um, you know there that late period. Yeah, he he made a point. It seems like of working with 
Harrison Ford and then Anthony Hopkins and Meet Joe Black and then Robert Redford in Spy Game and like, you know, kind of working with some of his heroes or I assume his heroes and like very smart. I really appreciate um, and admire the work he's doing as a producer. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it's thoughtful work. I mean, he was a producer on Moonlight, The Big Short. Um, uh, oh my gosh, there's so many. If Beale Street Could Talk, The Last yeah. Black in San Francisco. Yeah, he's done some really great stuff. And even The King. Um, did you see The King on Netflix with I Timothy Chalamet? I still haven't watched it. I, I remember you um, talking about it and, and giving it a pretty good review. I still haven't gotten to that one. Yeah. It is good. I recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, our Brad Pitt podcast coming up, you know, in a couple of years. (laughs) Um, But we are here today to talk about the 1991 Albert Brooks comedy, Defending Your Life. Um, Yeah. How do we get started? Do you want to do a synopsis before we dive in? Um, Sure. So Albert Brooks plays um, sort of a generic businessman in L.A. who um, is sort of out the gate, quite neurotic, maybe a little egotistical um, or self-involved. And he buys a brand new BMW and promptly crashes it into a bus. And... (laughs) Um, This is the instigating moment that takes him to, I guess, what we would call purgatory, this space where people who have passed away must defend their actions and their life to say whether or not they are prepared to move on to greener pastures. Mm -hmm. Or if they should be sent back to Earth to continue learning lessons. And so Albert Brooks both wrote, directed, and starred in this movie. It was... uh, he uh, he's kind of in the Woody Allen uh, mold of things. Yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways, really kind of neurotic, um, less sexually predatorial, but yeah. you know. <laughs> except I, yeah, I, I would say except I actually like Albert Brooks. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, his movies are he doesn't he doesn't do a ton, although this certainly wasn't his first. I think he's maybe directed something like six or seven before this he did um his first movie was in 1979 called real life um and he pretty much always stars in them too then he did a movie called modern romance in 1981 then he did lost in america have you ever watched have you ever seen lost in america that road trip one no and i um i was looking at his filmography um when after i watched this and i put it in my queue yeah I don't think I've seen it either, but I, I'm similarly intrigued by it. That one is supposed to be really good. The consensus on that one is that it's a really great movie with not a great ending. That if it, if they had fixed the ending, it would have been like really perfect. Then he did this in 91, Mother, with him and Debbie Reynolds in 96. And then a movie called The Muse, which he starred in with Sharon Stone, Andy McDowell, and Jeff Bridges in 1999. And then most recently, a movie called Looking for Comedy in the Muslim World in 2005, which I haven't ever even heard of that movie, actually. I remember when that came out. I I haven't seen it. I haven't seen that. I never saw The Muse, although I know of it. Mm-hmm. I think I saw Mother, but I remember nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm like, oh, for six. 
His well, his movies are like are you know, like I said about Woody Allen too. He's you know, he plays to a certain uh, demographic, and the rest of the world kind of ignores his movies, and his movies don't tend to make a ton of money. Um, this one did, you know, it made like sixteen million dollars defending your life. It wasn't like a huge money maker, but you know, he he does other uh, things as well. You know, he he does he does acting in other people's movies besides his own. And um, so anyway, uh, what did you think of this movie? You know what? It's incredibly cerebral. Um, And I thought it was quite funny and enjoyable. Like really sweet. I would say that I was thoroughly entertained. What about you? Has it been a while since you've seen this movie or is this one that you've seen? So, Way book gosh, it's been over 10 years. But when I was between law school and undergrad, I worked for a company called PR Newswire as an editor. And one of my coworkers, this was one of her favorite movies. And she knew I was a Meryl Streep fan. She's like, we got to watch this. We got to watch this. And I remember I, I, I had like tucked this memory away. I think in our initial discussions, I was like, I've never seen this movie. <laughs> And then it all came back to me. We watched it one night at my apartment and I have no recollection of how I felt about it at the time. Hmm. Yeah. I, I saw it a long time ago too, when I kind of first went through Meryl's catalog and was kind of, you know, discovering her movies and going through them. Um, And I don't remember, I don't, I similarly don't remember this one all that well. Maybe, maybe there's something about it. Uh, The thing that I did think was that um, it was and maybe still remains with very few exceptions like Mary Poppins Returns and a couple of those like cameo movies where she's like the Holmes men where she's in it for a very brief period of time and a lot of those are in the either the very beginning of her career like Julia in Manhattan or later years where you know she's one of the biggest stars on the planet and, you know, they want to put her in these big movies and she's interested, but can't, can only do so many of them, you know? And so she'll, she'll do a scene or something. And, um, I, I remember thinking where she was in her career, this is kind of the only supporting role she really took in those like middle years. If you think about it. Yeah. So she plays, for those of you who haven't seen it, she plays a a woman who's sort of in purgatory as well, defending her life. And Albert Brooks meets her while they're there and falls in love with her. And she's, um, she's quite angelic. And she, of course, is sort of the, the perfect, the, the perfect human being and the, the defense of her life isn't going to go very long because there's not much to defend. She's been perfect. She's lived. I think the whole theme is whether or not you've lived with fear or not in your life. And if you've, you know, lived sort of fear free um, and sort of lived sort of an open life, you will pass on to heaven. And if you're still dealing with fear, you're going to get sent back. Yeah. Um, I think it's really glorious casting by mm-hmm. Albert Brooks to cast her in this role, but I also think the role is fairly underwritten. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting about it, you probably read a little bit about this too, is that the connection to like 
Merrill even being involved in something like this was through Carrie Fisher because they both knew Carrie Fisher. And so at one point, Carrie Fisher had set up some sort of like dinner for all of them and maybe some other people too. I'm not sure. And, um, you know, he was working on this. He had been working on this script for a couple of years and was talking about it. And she said she was apparently a big fan of him and, you know, really just always thought he was very, very funny. And so said something like, hey, is there a part for me in there? And he didn't really believe her at the time that she would actually do this, you know. And uh, but once he kind of figured out that, yeah, she was serious, that she was interested in just doing something with him. And, you know, why not? Right. Um then he kind of rewrote it with her in mind. And I actually, it's funny because I went back and I watched on YouTube. There isn't very much about this movie. It's just like clips of of the movie. But um, one thing that does exist that somebody put up is the 1991 Siskel and Ebert review of this movie. And uh, one of the thing that Siskel points out is that Meryl Streep is essentially playing like Meryl Streep, you know, like she's kind of playing on this, like, you know, perfect angelic, you know, persona that she had at that point still kind of does is this like can do no wrong kind of person, um, which is either depending upon how you feel about the movie is either a little bit on the nose or, you know, kind of a cool send up. I think it was a cool send up. I think it was quite funny. (laughs) Right. Because she did lean into it, you know, when she's, there's a scene where, um, so, so, when we say defending your life, it's an actual like trial where you have to sit down and like you have a defense uh, quote attorney and a, a prosecutor and they, they take you back into scenes of your life and you basically have to defend your choices. And so at, at one point the film goes into her trial. So you see what's happening and it's not even a trial. There's They're watching a scene from her life where her house was burning down and she without fear ran in and saved her children and then ran back into the fire to save her cat. And you can see Meryl Streep really leaning into it in those moments and it's quite funny yeah it's very funny and i um uh yeah it didn't bother me that's good she i i feel like you know again at least in this period up until this point for sure i think it is like the most fun she's ever had on camera like she just laughs the entire movie and just like it's like she's delighted to be in his presence you know Mm -hmm. or she just seems so happy to be there and like enjoying herself so much. I think we got some of that later on with like Mama Mia and even it's complicated. She seemed to be having a really good time. And there are a couple other ones like that too. But this is, you know, from, from the mid nineties earlier, I would say this is for sure the most like light we've seen her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. She seemed to, she seems to enjoy it. Yeah. This is, we talk often now, although probably less so moving forward. uh, She did this sequence of four comedies in the early nineties after a long run of very heavy dramas. She did she devil postcards from the edge, this one, and then um, death becomes her. This is, we've now reviewed all four of these now that we've done this one. So that's why I say we'll probably talk about them less, but um, (laughs) yeah, there's something about this one. I guess it's because the, the tone is so different. And so I actually really like a lot of what this movie says. It's, it's a really unique uh, I, I I don't know. I, I guess I kind of, it depends on how you feel about the afterlife. And as somebody who, you know, like 
I'm not sure how I feel about the afterlife. I love, I kind of like the idea of this movie. Like the afterlife that's presented in this movie seems like a really fair, a really just system, you know? Like this is the way it should be. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was a very clever way to grapple with the idea of fear and anxiety and what holds us back in life and what doesn't. And so everything is sort of, everything's built around that. And so character development isn't necessarily as important. Um, Sort of plot development is quite basic. Um, It, it's not meant to be overly complicated because it really is this guy figuring out what it means to take risks and live without fear. Pretty basic, basic stuff. And if you look at it that way, it accomplishes what it sets out to do and is actually pretty funny and pretty sweet. But it's, yeah, I would say if you go into it, don't expect more of it. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, I like the idea that he, what he presented here was, you know, what, what you just said, the idea of like fear and whether you, whether you kind of stood up when you needed to stand up and um, that rather than were you a good person, were you kind to people? It was, are you brave instead of, are you kind? Are you nice? Are you like all these other things that we sometimes think of as more traditional, like I'll get to heaven if I'm a good person and I'm nice to everybody I meet and I'm generous and I'm this and I'm that. This is pretty much the deciding factor in this movie was, were you brave? Did you get over any fears that you had? Did you find a way to better yourself that way? Which, you know, a singular focus like that makes for sure for a cleaner movie. Like there's nothing complicated about this movie at all. There's nothing hard to follow here at all. No, not at all. (laughs) It's pretty straightforward. I mean, you don't even have any plot development for them to fall in love. It's like they meet and she's like, you know what? I don't know why, but I think I'm in love with you. I mean, it right. doesn't happen that fast, but it does have that. You're like, okay, this is where we're going with this. Yeah. You just kind of yeah. have to surrender to it. They do in in a very 90s romantic comedy uh you know, way, fall in love extremely hard, extremely fast, you know? Yep. I'm like, um, why are you in love with him? <laughs> yes. You want to hit rewind and tell me what the attraction is here? <laughs> the physical attraction I get, but I do find them charming together. Oh, yeah. No, no, not physical attraction aside. I'm talking about total like person because he's just he's sort of a neurotic complainer. It's got that yeah, Woody Allen vibe. Yeah. And so that that's really what I'm talking about because they're I mean, they're adorable. Yeah. <laughs> One um, so they meet in that, um, oh, you know, there are other little details that I think are, are kind of funny. I mean, like this Judgment City, it's called, which is, again, like purgatory is a weird way of thinking of it. But that's the way it's described all the time, because there's yeah. nothing like purgatory would seem like not a good place to be. And this seems like kind of a lovely place to be. It's, kind of, it's like Disneyland. Yeah. 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 You can eat 
as much as you want, which seems to be a big selling point to everybody. You can eat as much as you want and it doesn't affect you physically. There are lots of activities, the places that you're staying, the hotels that they put you in are pretty nice. And like everything is, everything is kind of nice there. You know, it doesn't seem like a, a horrible place to, uh, to live for, especially a short period of time as you're being judged before. So if you are not, if you have not proven yourself to be brave, you are sent back to earth to live another life, um, not as the same person, but you come back as a new person. And um, if you are viewed as somebody who lived a brave life, uh, you are, you move on to what they call the next level. I think early on in the movie, he, he asks, is this heaven? And I think that's the only time the word heaven is ever uttered in this movie, I think. Yeah. So it isn't clear if heaven is the next step if that's where you go to if you've you know lived a life that is judged to be you know of quality or whatever um but i would assume it's a heaven-like place you know um but the place that they meet in judgment city is a stand-up comedy club where the performer is dying do you do you know the in joke the really intense very dark in joke of of that scene no. So Albert Brooks um, says, or the comedian, he said he starts kind of heckling the comedian. Albert Brooks's character starts like heckling him a little bit, and the comedian turns to him and says, "What did you die, or where did you die?" And he says, "On stage, like you." And it gets a big laugh. Okay. So in real life, Albert Brooks's father was a stand-up comedian who died on stage. Really? Yes. And he died in kind of the most shocking and amazing way. So he was like a legit stand-up comedian. I have to look up his name because I don't remember off the top of my head. But you know those old um, roasts that they used to do? of Like they used to roast famous comedians? Yeah. His dad was at the roast performing uh, for Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. It was like a dual thing. And he did his set. And he went to sit down and somebody said something, you know, to him, like made a joke at at his expense. And he says, you got that right or something like that. And then slumped into Milton Berle, who was next to him and just died. Whoa. And Milton Berle screamed out, is there a doctor in the house? Which, of course, given the circumstances, everybody thought was a joke. Oh, no. And so like this. It was just like an absolute, I mean, like this could be a movie in and of itself, right? Is this like, so they did not finish the roast. I guess Lucy got up and was crying and, you know, just said like, we can't continue with this. Like, this is crazy. So anyway, to, to then, you know, years later, so Albert Brooks was either 10 or 11 when that happened. And, um, you know, so then years later to, to make a joke about somebody dying on stage when that's how his dad went out is kind of a dark joke if you know his history, you know? Very. Yeah. Wow. That is great. That is a good story. Yeah. Oh. I really, I'm going to look up his dad's name because I can't, yeah. that seems disrespectful to tell that story. And not I know. Uh. So there's, there's some going on in, in there too. What, uh, what else about this movie would you say? Like what's a, uh, what's memorable about this movie? What did you like about this movie? This movie is very white. Yeah. There's- uh, just like a sea of white people, and apparently, um, 
this was not uh, Judgment City is not a city where people of other ethnic and racial backgrounds go. <laughs> um, so that stood out. It's a 90s thing. Um, or basically uh, every time thing. Ugh. Anyway. Um, and then, you know, there's a scene where they go to the past lives pavilion and they get to see like who they were in previous lives. And it's definitely gimmicky, but the, the, the sort of cliche cultural jokes happening <laughs> with the past lives was a little, eh else is happening yeah i mean listen this this movie has got a white guy problem it's like um he's neurotic circa woody allen he's basically been a chicken shit most of his life he was financially successful and totally self-involved um he because it's albert brooks he has sort of a sweetness to him that you can't help but liking him anyway which is, i think what woody allen is absolutely missing plus the you know sexual predatory <laughs> behavior um and you know you're just like why 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 are we interested <laughs> He's quite funny, and that's the saving grace. Like, there's a lot of self-awareness in the humor. And um, it's funny because I identified with his character quite a bit. Nice. Interesting. Yeah, but I still was like, why? <laughs> so those are some very random, um, not very cohesive thoughts about the film, and they were all run together. But those are sort of my big picture thoughts about the film. Yeah, yeah, nice. I um, I have finished my looking up here. Um, his his father's name was Harry Einstein, um, and people might know one of his other kids. Uh, so Al one of Albert Brooks's um, other brothers not other brothers, one of Albert Brooks's brothers was a guy named Bob Einstein, who people might know. Um, I know him. He played Marty Funkhauser on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, okay. people, people know him from Arrested Development. He played Larry Middleman, but he was known as Super Dave Osborne. He's one of those people who had a really unique voice, was unbelievably funny. Um, and he, he died within the last couple of years, too. Um, so anyway, there's been um, that's that was his name anyway. Um, the brother's name? Bobby? Bob, yeah, Bob Einstein. Okay. An actor and a writer and a producer. He had been on a lot of things from, like, the Smothers Brothers to, like, the Sonny and Cher show. And, yeah. yeah, I'm looking them up right now. Cool. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so th this, this movie certainly, like you say, is not without its share of issues you know if we're looking at it through a through a critical lens it's also just a movie that um, how did you feel about the ending did you feel like it was too saccharine sweet of an ending or did it work for you i mean for what this movie is i get why the ending was what it was i mean this is ultimately a romantic comedy and if you have a story arc for a character where you know your main character is learning some sort of lesson his lesson is to take risks and he does it for the love of this woman Right. Um, I, it, it's a little too neat because, I mean, he basically gets on the bus and gets to go to heaven. Right. So he got to bypass all of the rules that everybody else has to follow 
and go to heaven because he jumped on the side of a bus for this woman. Yeah, that um, was him showing his bravery. Yeah, so part of it, like, I have, like, a very bitter response to that. I'm like, oh, sure, that's all you have to do to get to heaven. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, the 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 friendly side of me is like, oh, that's sweet. I'll take yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. A- I mean, that's the kind of movie this is, right? It's not... It's not anything else. Yeah. That was the reason I asked that was that was the sticking point between Siskel and Ebert was they they liked the movie, but Siskel did not like the ending at all. He he said Albert Brooks still cannot write a good ending. Um, Ebert really praised the ending and thought it was a really good ending for this movie. So you can see both sides to it. It probably yeah. depends on the day, you know, depends on your mood that day. In some yeah, ways. You know what? I think I would have almost preferred an ending where um, where he really did learn that lesson with her, but then is sent back to Earth and you actually see him. Um, I guess that's hard because you'd have to cast somebody else, but that you'd actually see him making choices not out of fear, um, that you see the lesson learned. Yeah. Uh, um, in the next life. I think I would have appreciated that ending more. Yeah. That or, and I mean, maybe there's even a way to reunite them after that person dies or something. I don't know, but. Um, yeah. Or maybe she ends up, you know, who knows? Maybe she ends up back on earth for some reason. Who knows? I think it would have been a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll take this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, he had written a great movie and almost like painted himself into a corner in a way in terms of the writing. Like there really wasn't a great way to end this at that point. And I mean, I don't know what, I I guess I don't know. And I, I, I'm not sure how easy it is to look up like what studio it was that was making this. It was a smaller, you know, Mm -hmm. studio, I'm sure. But whether he was getting pressure to like, as they always say, to like write the, you know, audience friendly ending, or if he was really allowed to do, I mean, I don't know. Have we ever seen, have we ever seen the romantic comedy where they don't end up together? I'm sure that exists at this point. It has to exist. Somebody has made that movie, but like, can you name a movie off the top of your head that ended in that kind of disappointing? Um, I forget the, the Jim Carrey uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Wasn't that a whole thing where they, the ending wasn't like a conventional ending. Wasn't that one of the things? It's been a long time since I saw that movie. I I have seen that movie and I remember nothing about it. I couldn't tell you. I don't remember much either, but I feel like there was something about that movie that it was different. I guess yeah. uh, maybe it was something like that. But, you yeah. know, like a non-conventional ending where they didn't end up together. And, they, you know, I mean, like there is a big part of the audience that, you know, we read those reviews of Into the Woods last time. Like imagine the negative reviews that people would leave if they invested, a two, you know, two hours into a, a lighthearted story and then they didn't end up together. Speaking of, have you looked at any of the reviews for this? They're all sparkling. Yes, they're oh. all fantastic i don't have a one-star review i think i do i i think there's either a two-star or a three-star review which was the low and there's only one of those the thing that is amazing about this movie i want to make sure that i get it exactly right i think the rotten tomato score for this movie is like 93 percent oh okay that's high it's very high baffling to me i think that you know, he's a great comedy writer, and that moment-to-moment is so funny. I 
I think there is sort of a writing problem and that the sort of the oversimplicity of the story, I hate to call it a problem because it's consistent. I mean, this movie is not complicated. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised about the reading, perfectly honest. It's- it is a 97% on the critic side and 83% on the audience score, which is still pretty good. Yeah. And is. in the IMDb, I'm going to pull this up here. On the IMDb side, I think it's definitely, it's not, it's not in the top like 10%, but it's in the, it's in the top third, I would say. It's got a 7.2 on IMDb, which puts it at the same score that the post August Osage County AI, which he only has a little cameo voice thing, out of Africa, Silkwood, and Julia. All all of those movies have the same score as Defending Your Life. So the only ones really that are above it are the Oscar winners, or the ones that she yeah. was nominated for and almost won. And it's rated higher than Julie and Julia and French Lieutenant's Woman and Devil Wears Prada and uh, Cry in the Dark and a bunch of these other ones that are maybe considered big. Meryl movies, you know? Yeah. Weird. Cool. Yeah. I mean, better float your boat, I guess. Yeah. I so ultimately, like, where does this one sit for you? Like, I don't know. It's I I think it's a charming movie. And I have it like we have now, I think this is our thirty-third movie. In both my categories, I have it at like twenty-three, twenty-four. Like it's definitely not in the top percent, but it's you know it's a good movie too. Like we're just at that point where we were talking last time in, in her filmography is really just the last two or three that are movies that you don't really want to watch again. And those are ones like the house of the spirits and the homes men where she's not really in it for that much, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I have it performances. I mean, I love her in this. She's not, She's not doing anything wrong, but I think I have it pretty low. I- I'm going to put it at like 28 only because it- it- there's just not much to it. So that's in between Mary Poppins Returns in Manhattan? Yeah. I think okay. that's where I'm going to put it. Yeah, I think so. And then uh, movie wise, let's see. Yeah, I think I'm going to put it at like 29. Okay. So uh, after oh, she devil, I definitely I can't help it. I definitely like it better than she devil. Um, do you like it better than Julia, which you have above she devil? I do like Julia, but I think I even like it better than Ricky and the Flash. Like it holds up better, like as a film structurally than like Ricky and the Flash. Ricky and the Flash had some story problems. Mm-hmm. I definitely, yeah. Okay, I'm moving it up. I'm going to put it between Death Becomes Her and The Laundromat at 23. Yeah, okay. So, there, like I said, on IMDb, there is no one-star review, and there is only one two-star review. It's not particularly funny, but I'll read uh, this kind of a long one, so I maybe won't read all of it. But just for some context for somebody who feels a little differently. Um, so this is Bill M17. The title is Just Terrible. Um <laughs> I don't know why these always make me laugh, but okay. It says, like like most movies that I end up despising for for then anything. I don't know. I guess he probably meant to say more than anything. I honestly gave this thing a try. We had to watch it in a class on the afterlife in school, and its premise was interesting. Sort of. One of the biggest problems is the acting. Brooks tries to sound like he's doing stand-up comedy in the middle of a conversation. 
Sorry, Al, only Jerry Seinfeld can do that, and even Jerry can do it badly, too. The whole ordeal about Jeeps in the beginning should have given me a hint, but I ignored it. I'm thinking that maybe since the SOB wrote the damn thing, that maybe he would write himself a more interesting character. But he doesn't. Rather, Daniel Miller is shown as a supposedly funny guy who, by the sheer grace of God, who is conspicuously absent in this whole ordeal, which shows that the only kind of world where Albert Brooks is allowed to write, star, and direct his movies in is a godless hell, is able to win over Meryl Streep for reasons that are too stupid to discuss further. So, I mean, not far off from what you... Yeah, from what we were saying, which is like, you know... Albert Brooks is kind of this schmuck guy, and he winds up with this, yeah. you know, person who is portrayed as literally perfect. I mean, she's perfect in this movie. She's described as like an angel, a, a literal walking angel. Yeah. Um, I'm looking through to see if there's okay. I'm going to read just a little bit more of this because he actually yeah. gets into Merrill here. Um, there's a there's a paragraph here where he compares it to Donnie Darko that I'll skip. Um, but the end, he says, the ending is also so ridiculously predictable. Because he wanted to have sex with Meryl Streep, he gets into heaven. But when he doesn't, that means he's a failure at life. Kind of showing Streep on a pedestal, I see. Okay, oh wait, this I remember this one now. This one gets really weird. That's a really good point that I didn't quite tap in on. Thank you, sir. You're going to... You're going to like him a lot less after he, he really, this takes a dive here. Okay. He goes, okay, I want to have sex too. If I impregnate an underage girl, but show courage, then do I get into heaven? Awesome. The only reason this even gets a two is because of the past lives pavilion with the sumo wrestler and the girl with the doll. Why are we even talking about underage children? Exactly. That's what I mean is he, he had a good he had a good thing going there, and he really blew it. I know. It was somewhat accurate until he went down that road. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. Well, Bill M17, I don't know. Um, I Bill. mean. Bill, Bill, Bill. How did you feel about the very quick uh, uh, Shirley MacLaine cameo? Oh, my God. So funny. <laughs> I mean, for those of you who don't know, Shirley MacLaine is quite famous for her uh, espousing um, of, of past lives. She's a firm believer in past lives and reincarnation. And um, uh, so her in that role, she sort of is the host of the past lives pavilion. It's quite funny. Yeah, it's a good, I you know, and she's always been, always been willing to kind of like make fun of herself for that belief because she knows that it's not a wide, you know, widely held belief. But you got to admire somebody who just like sticks to sticks to their belief and like is willing to kind of make themselves, you know, part of the joke, but also still believe what they believe. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, this one is, uh, I don't know. I don't know that we necessarily even need to spend any more time on this movie. I, I, the, thing, the thing that I keep coming back to in regards to the lists here is maybe because it is a lighter movie, this would also be one that would be very easy to rewatch. You know, like it's yeah. very watchable. It's very light. It's very, um, I did kind of wonder if um, it is kind of long for this movie. It's almost a full two hours. I kind of feel like they could have trimmed out 10 minutes, but I also don't know where they would have done that really. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure where they would have trimmed either. Um, but I bet you if I watched it for that, I could definitely find some trimming. <laughs> the, um, the other 
folks in it. Um, I wanted to point out: is it uh, Lee Marvin who plays the um, the uh, attorney? Who's no uh, Rip Torn? No, no. Um, but the one who uh, Lee Grant. Lee Grant. Sorry. Oh. Um, she's the she's the what? What do you the prosecutor? The one who's yeah. fighting against him. Do you know much about Lee Grant? Um, really interesting life story. Um, I don't. She she's another one too who like was you know she was in movies going back to like the fifties, which means so she was born according to Wikipedia she was born um, and this is also I think the same on IMDb they don't know when she's still alive, but I guess she just must have never been willing to like commit to the year she was born because it says she was born on October thirty first sometime during the mid twenties so at this point she's either ninety two or ninety four, which means that when she made this movie she was almost. She was almost 70 years old. Wow. She did not look 70. No, she looks great. Yeah. But she she was one of the, you know, like she got an early Oscar nomination in the early 50s, but then she also got blacklisted for 12 years. Um, I assume as part of the the like why the Hollywood 10, you know, thing. Yeah. That came out in the 50s. Um Although she's she's not one of the ten, but I'm assuming it has something related to that. But she really struggled to find work, and then kind of had this nice comeback in the late um, like '60s. She did things like Valley of the Dolls and In the Heat of the Night. She did a TV show called Peyton Place, which I've heard of, but I'm not familiar with it. Um, Listen, Peyton Place, the film from the '60s with Lana Turner and Russ Tamblin, is one of my all-time favorite movies. It's based on a book by Grace Metalius. I highly recommend both the book and the movie. <laughs> have you have you uh, watched the show at all? I have never watched the show, but it's where Ryan O'Neill and Mia Farrow got their starts. Oh, okay. Sort of the first, it was the first soap opera. Hmm, okay. Yeah. I just thought she was an interesting uh, actress. I thought she was interesting in this movie. It's, um, you know, she it's kind of a one-note role. You know, it's not, uh, her character doesn't show a lot of, uh, show much of an arc, but I don't know. And, and Rip Torn, I thought was good too. He kind of plays down his Rip Tornness. <laughs> yeah, he does. It's like the most normal role I think he ever had. Um, yeah, I would not be surprised. I also, it's. I mean, there was a part of me that was like, he kind of disappears for a good chunk of the middle of the movie, where they like leave him with another attorney. And I was kind of like, was Rip Torn just like doing his Rip Torn thing, and they like couldn't wrangle him, or was that always part of the script? Or like, it's quite random, isn't it? Yeah, there's no reason for it, really. Yeah, unless they're just trying to increase the character's insecurity. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I thought it, it was very odd. Yeah, I, I I really did question whether or not there was just some like off <laughs> off screen like Rip Torn got arrested because <laughs> he was just like kind of wild like that. Um, another, I'm sure I've plugged it on here before, but if you if you don't know, Sissy Spacek is related through marriage to Rip Torn. To her like her, I can't remember how, but somebody. Uh, older than her married Rip Torn, who she was related to. And so Rip Torn actually kind of helped Sissy Spacek get her start in the business. Fascinating. And uh, she talks about him a lot in her autobiography, which is absolutely incredible. And especially if you can get the um, audible, like, you know, her narrating it thing. I would just listen to her narrate anything. I love her voice so much. And um, 
or the way, I mean, like, it's just like listening to Sissy Spacek, who's like the most endearing, like lovely, uh, calming person in the world, read her, read her life story. And, but anyway, she also tells these ripped torn stories kind of scattered throughout it because she was related to him and, you know, had them. So that's amazing. I need to read that. My sister's reading Sally Fields memoir too right now and says it's amazing. I want to, I want to read that as well. It is, but that one is, that one, she really went to some dark places. She, she went through a lot of sexual abuse as, as a child, like as a, like really, really young. I mean, it's in a, you know, it's really tough to take some of the stuff that she went through. Yeah. It's not a fun read. No, no. The, the ability to uh, persevere is pretty astounding. Yeah. Um, so anyway, well, that that's good. We did it. We did defending your life. That yeah. wasn't so hard. I will say, like, if you have a choice between watching this or broadcast news, go watch broadcast news. Yeah. I only say that because Albert Brooks is in it. It's my favorite Albert Brooks performance of all time. I just think he's so funny. Well, he's great. I mean, I he was great in Drive too. Um, I think he was nominated he's a great for that. Actor. He's a great comedian. He's a great writer. He, he's very talented. He's fun yeah. to watch. Yeah, yeah. I can see why this this seems like just a fun movie for Meryl to shoot. And at this point, she lived. I think this is when she lived in California, so it was probably a relatively easy, you know, thing for her to just. Yeah, during the early '90s, she lived in. California. She had kind of ditched New York for like four or five years. And then after the river wild, I think went back to Connecticut and then made the bridges of Madison County. And then was kind of a huge star again after that. So, um, anyway, well, should we do our other segments? Yeah. All right. Uh, six degrees. Our person, your suggestion last time was Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Did you connect him? I did. Did you? I did. I can think of two. I only thought of one because I was lazy. I was like, I've got it. I win. <laughs> what is it? Um, the Huntsman with Emily Blunt. And Emily Blunt with Mary Poppins Returns and also Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. I guess the Snow White Huntsman? Yeah, it's the second one. Uh, I think it's called A Winter's Tale. No, Winter's, the Winter, the Winter War. Winter's War? <laughs> <laughs> the Huntsman of Lula. <laughs> I didn't know Emily Blunt was in that. She is. She plays this very stunning ice princess, like literal ice. She creates ice. Yeah. Nice. She's like, she's like a darker Elsa. Oh, nice. <laughs> I have to check that one out. Yeah. Um, the two I thought of were the new, uh, the reboot of, uh, why can't I think of it? Men in Black. Um the, the reboot of that Emma Thompson plays kind of the old Rip Torn role, kind of bringing things full circle. She's Emma Thompson really replaced Rip Torn as kind of like the head of the whatever that Men in Black you know land is. Yeah. Um, Emma Thompson was in Angels in America with Meryl. Um, the other one is Chris Hemsworth, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. I should have verified this, but I think he's in Bad Times at the El Royale. He is. I was okay. trying to think of a connection in that. Jeff, Jeff Bridges, maybe? Jeff Bridges, yeah, through The Giver. Oh. I was like, I couldn't think that. I was like, Jeff Bridges. Jeff, Surely they've been in something together. Also, a connection was Thor with Anthony Hopkins, and I couldn't think of anything that he and Meryl had been in together, although they should have. 
Yeah, no, they've not been in anything. There are actually a surprising number of people who like that, who you're like, why didn't they ever work together? But that's, yeah. that's the way it goes. You suppose yeah. you can't work with everybody. Helen Mirren, as you mentioned a couple weeks ago, why haven't they worked together, you know? Um, yeah, uh, Jeff Bridges, I always also think, too, because he was originally supposed to be in Hope Springs, and he got something happened with his schedule and he wasn't available. So he was replaced by Tommy Lee Jones. And in my mind, I remember when that movie was announced and I was so excited about them being in that movie together. I like Tommy Lee Jones a lot too, but you know, I was more excited about the Jeff Bridges thing. And um, so I, I always kind of like flip it in my mind as if they actually made the movie with Jeff Bridges, but either way it's safe because of the giver, they eventually did work together. I love it. So um, what about movies you wish Meryl was in? I've not thought of one this week. Have you? I have not either. I was hoping you were gonna. You were I gonna. I could see for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I will just skip that one this week. Sorry, folks. I that was one of those things I meant to do. It's hard to do that five days in a row, though. It is. It is. It uh, takes hard work, guys. This this our segments take hard work. <laughs> <laughs> my um, my kind of general rule is use the current movie as some kind of like launching pad. Like when we did into the woods, I kind of kept the Sondheim thing and, and chose gypsy this. I don't know Albert Brooks's other work well enough really to, to say anything else that I, you know, wish he had been in maybe, but um, yeah. Oh, Hey, we didn't, we didn't name our six degrees person for next time either. And we almost pulled the same stunt we did last time where we just completely forgot. Um, so we're going to do Helen Hunt for the next, uh, six degrees person. You jogged my memory of, uh, Helen Hunt, who I'm a big fan of. Actually, I really love Helen Hunt. Um, yeah, and, uh, you jogged my memory by mentioning that she was in that masterpiece show. I think I said this last time she's in a movie, um, called I see you, I think, or something like that. That's on Amazon prime that is getting really good reviews. So um, I'm going to maybe try to check that out. That way I'll have something else to talk about too before our next episode in that first segment. We'll double up on it. Um, I, got, I got very randomly, I did get to meet Helen Hunt. I spent a couple days on the set of Pay It Forward, which is not a great movie, but um, yeah, back in the 90s, she was lovely. She was very was nice. She? Yeah. I literally, I literally bumped into her one time in New York City as in um, like literally you know, ran it like physically touched and kind of like, Oh, you're Helen Hunt. And there was a quick, like, sorry, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. No conversation. Cause it happened so quickly by the time I realized it was an encounter that was over. But um, yeah, let's talk about pay it forward sometime. I just, I very much remember that movie that I, I'm not a crier in movies. Uh, it, I, it takes a lot for a movie to make me cry. Pay mm -hmm. it forward is one that I don't know why exactly, but it made me weep when I saw that movie it in years since it came out but i can definitely tell you my stories yeah i would yeah. love to hear those stories yeah <laughs> it was fun i was living the dream man i was like 16 17 we were doing all night shoots in vegas oh i'll tell you the whole thing next week dot 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 to be continued <laughs> i'm looking forward to this i i do remember now that actually you next week is tomorrow when we record our next episode that's true <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that you had you had mentioned. In fact, it might have been on an earlier episode. You mentioned having. Uh, I think when the Kevin Spacey stuff happened, I think that's maybe yeah. when we started talking about it. But so I did remember, but I didn't put the that connection there together. So I'm 
interested and excited to hear all about that. So something to come back to next time, everybody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of, what is our next episode? Our next episode is on First Do No Harm. Mm-hmm. This one is, um, I've been doing just a little bit, I haven't watched it quite yet, but I've been doing a little bit of uh, homework on it, and I'm more interested in it now than I was. There's, uh, It feels like it, there were some very real and very good intentions made uh, in making this thing. There was a reason for it. You know, I maybe said a couple of days ago when we were doing our other episode, I, I don't know why she did this movie. And that feels a little uh, callous after finding out why she did this movie. It seems like there's actually a really good reason that she did this movie. So I'm interested to see it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, well, it was lovely to talk about defending your life and, uh, we'll be back real soon, everybody with, uh, first do no harm. We wish you well and we'll see you soon. Bye everybody. That's all.